What's up, what's up? Another week, another podcast. This is your favorite football podcast, The Football Academy. I'm your supporting tonight with Braden. How's it going, sir? I'm just here so I don't get fined. Well, that is quite the sentiment. We have a lot to get into. Uh, we will go over last week's betting, uh, and we shall see how both of us did. Uh, but before that, I just want to make a quick logistical announcement for everybody. We got the festive fixtures coming up. We got festivals coming up. Um, so we will see how we record the podcast. We're going to try to give you as best, uh, content to, as our ability. But again, we got, uh, families to take care of and, uh, you know, and to be within this festive season. So we shall see how the, how we overall do the podcast. As far as this one is concerned, we are going to go over all the re- games that happened this past weekend. We might not go too deep into certain games, which we don't think deserve to be really talked about. Um, and we're going to give you a preview of all the midweek games coming up. And hopefully by the time uh, we record the next one, we only have to do, oh, we then again do the review and the preview for the midweek games and the upcoming weekend games. So there's a lot of football and talking about football, there's a lot of betting to do. So Braden, do you want to give our listeners a heads up of what's coming and what happened last week? Yeah, so last week wasn't too bad. We both kind of misstepped a little bit on a couple of odd results especially with uh, Chelsea and Spurs and that game as well as uh, Liverpool Fulham as well and there were no other surprising um, results Um, so in uh, this past week uh, Sapoon was second on a uh, return of 825.36 on an outlay of a thousand pod bucks and I just nudged him with uh, 986.07 again on uh, outlay of a thousand pod bucks. So we're both a little short, but I think when we have some of the big teams stumble like this, a lot of the times it's it's not just about being profitable; it's about not losing much because um, you know a lot of these results you just couldn't really see coming. Yeah, definitely did not see coming. But um, let's get right into it. The first game that happened: Leeds United taking on West Ham United. Kind of as we said, the contrasting styles of uh you know mid to lower table teams in the premier league right now leads playing an expansive style which ended up being their downfall in my opinion west ham just having the you know the mentality that they need to go get the three points and uh, big big three points i think declan rice very like kind of outplayed calvin phillips to a bit but it was a very good midfield battle in my opinion but uh, West Ham, good job. David Morris, good job. Uh, Leeds, this is going to be frustrating if you're a Leeds fan uh, when Bielsa is your coach because he's not going to change regardless of who your opposition is. Yeah, I think that nails it uh, pretty straight on. Uh, West Ham had an aerial advantage. And I think they exploited that in this game. And uh, we're just a little bit more physical of a team, I felt like. It's a lot of, you know, just kind of, you know, old school blue collar football, if you want to call it that. Like, it's, it's a lot of not, West Ham don't do anything fancy, but they just kind of grind out results. Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, Declan Rice playing a big, big role in that game. Both of us caught that wrong in uh, and really did not see a West Ham win in the way it happened coming. Uh, moving on to the next game, Wolverhampton Wanderers against Aston Villa, a game that had uh, way too many cards. Two red cards included. I mean, I don't think if as I think as Braden once pointed out right after the game, if somebody just showed you all the cards, there isn't really a lot of money in guessing who the referee was. But at the end of the day, big win for Aston Villa. Uh, three points. Wolverhampton Wanderers falling apart kind of without Raul Jimenez. But this is to be expected. 
Um, Aston Villa, good on you. Don't really have a lot to say outside of, well, good job, Mike Dean, I guess. Yeah, it was definitely a Mike Dean special with, with two red cards and a penalty in the game. Um, you know, I felt that Wolves were just a little wasteful, and I think that's probably be expected with Fabio Silva leading the line instead of Raul Jimenez. I, Wolves aren't really a volume chance team. Uh, they're a team that's generally trying to be pretty efficient with their chances, and I... You know, Silva's young, and I think he'll probably grow into this role quicker than uh, and, and adjust hopefully quicker for Wolves than um, some other players would with, uh, you know, being young and hopefully learning quickly. Uh, but, you know, that's just part of it. Uh, there's going to be some tough spots getting through this because, you know, Jimenez was, oh, if not the best player of Wolves, one of the best players. And so it's... It's going to be some tough moments for them, I think. They were already in a period of transition. Jimenez injuries hits, and I think that's kind of the story of this game. I think Wolves would have probably put one away and come away with a draw if not won this match if Jimenez were in there. I definitely agree, but at the same time, as you said, Wolverhampton Wanderers, this is a big problem for them in the way they go out and play, and especially without having Raul Jimenez, this is going to be a challenge. As far as Aston Villa are concerned, they're like... I'm gonna pull the table up real quick. Like they are tenth still, with I I believe, and uh, I think it could be a very very interesting situation if they do win a couple of the games in hand, because uh, they might have a European shout in terms of finishing like outside seventh, outside eighth. Don't think it's very likely, but uh, depending on how the festive period goes for them, they might take the place that otherwise uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers would have had this season. Uh, moving along to the next game, Newcastle United at home, taking on West Brom, ended up 2-1 Newcastle. I mean, West Brom, this is a game that you kind of they needed to show something. Newcastle are playing well, and uh, big three points for them. Yeah, I don't really have a lot more to add to this. Like Newcastle just literally from the opening minute were out ahead on uh, West Brom and just West Brom never really looked like they were going to recover from that. As a Atlanta United fan, good to see Mickey get on the score sheet. I know it's been up and down uh, for him at Newcastle with, uh, you know, just not being very consistent, even in just getting minutes. Uh, so uh, good to see him go out there, get a goal in the first 20 seconds of this match. Uh, most definitely. And it, as a, I guess Atlanta United fan, uh, it definitely does feel does feel nice to see Miggy Almiron do something in the Premier League. Um, as far as West Brom are concerned, would you say, I ask you this almost every week at this point, like, do you think they're going to get relegated? I mean, it's, it's tough to say, although I will say with Fulham starting to look like they're getting their act together, I, I think that's a real bad sign for West Brom because West Brom don't look like they're getting anything together. Um, and Fulham kind of do. So that that's a real bad sign for West Brom, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Talking about signs, uh, that's all you could really take outside of this uh, Manchester derby because the result really wasn't very telling. I think it's very evident. Uh, like People on social media didn't really watch the game given uh, what everybody's thoughts were. I saw a Pep Guardiola that was too scared to open up, uh, which was kind of fascinating to me because it's been a while since a team had adjusted to the way Man United plays. And on the other side, you also saw Ole Gunnar Solskjaer not really go for it. We had McTominay and, uh, and Fred playing at the same time. But I think um, all in all, uh, a point is probably the better result for Man United. 
I'd say given the calamitous week it's been for uh, the club as in general. Um, but again, like if you want, you can take the result and take the performances any way you feel like, in my opinion, depending on which way your narrative fits. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if you want to back away on this, I think this is a, a good sign that once again, uh, when the team kind of not necessarily was in a downward spiral or anything like that, but just have gotten a couple rough results and, you know, every time Manchester United now go through a couple rough results, all these rumors start swirling about whether Ole is getting sacked or whatnot. And I just always find a way to get some kind of result out of that. Uh, So if you want to take that narrative, you can from that. Um, If you want to take the other, you know, city were probably a little bit better in this game overall. They just didn't put away their chances. Uh, But you know, city, when you, when you're city, you need to be doing that. Like it, it's just there's no excuses for a city team that has spent all this money, have allegedly the best coach in the world. It's I, I don't know. It's another kind of I, I don't I don't know what to think of the city team at this point. Like they're just very there's nothing inspiring on that team to me. I th- and I think we've talked about this even last season, where you know we kind of felt they really needed a player like Vincent Company at the back, you know, whether he's in playing or not, like I think in the club, he meant a lot. And you kind of see that in the way um, the team is functioning because you see there's Kevin De Bruyne there who's trying to pull, but he's like, he's not a leader per se. So the, the team is really void of, I feel like confidence at times when they, when the going gets tough and, you know, Sterling still hasn't scored against Manchester United in his career. So, uh, which I think you kind of see it in the way he plays at times where he like rush to a shot instead of taking his time the way he normally would. And I mean, it's a legit that there are rumor. I mean, what is city going to do when this happens, right? They're going to spend some more fucking money. So there are rumors now of Erling Haaland potentially coming to Manchester city, which like, I mean, they would replace Aguero without even like Aguero leaving. So that would be kind of insane to watch. But, um, I, I don't know what the ceiling for this Manchester City team is, but um, I think the floor could really be defined by how Aguero does once he comes back. Because if Aguero does not hit the ground running when he is due back and they really can't beat the top teams, they I don't think the City as a team with the mentality and with the players they have are meant for a 3-4 team uh, dogfight for the title. Yeah, I mostly agree with that. And I do think that there's a lot of concerns. I think if you're a city fan and I think as you kind of correctly mentioned, the floor is lower than I think we thought it was at the beginning of the season. Like city have just kind of been lumped into their title contenders by default because they've been very good the past few years and have just kind of always been title contenders. But when you watch this team play for 10 years for yeah, 10 years. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jesus, it's been that long. Um, but when you watch this team play specifically this year and at times last year as well, they just don't really, there's nothing in there that makes me watch them and say, this is a title contending team. I think it's mostly on reputation at this point. I mean, so I, I think they're contending for the title 
but at the same time, it's only it, it's only because of how crazy the season is. I think it, we have to kind of separate what title contender has meant until last season, because you know that was fucking ninety five, ninety eight, ninety nine points. Whereas now, I think this season a bit more realistic in terms of what the achievements can be. So they're still there, but if there was a team that had popped open a lead like Liverpool did last year, I think um, City would be in like Mourinho third season category at that point. Um, having said that, um, you can definitely tell us what you felt about that game because Adabi is Adabi at the end of the day and uh, no, no, it's not something anybody wants to watch. As Roy Keane uh, made very clear at the end when he popped off about John Stones and Harry Maguire hugging and kind of really showed how uh, out of touch with football the older players are. Um, talking about out of touch, uh, Everton had looked very out of touch for a while now after our thunderous start had one defeat after another piling on and in came the team that had scored the most goals in Chelsea football club and Everton won one nail first came back with the fans. Don't know if that really made that much of a difference, but I mean, Chelsea just not good enough in my opinion in this game, I will say other than Reese James, um, how they bounce back will be very telling, but not a very uh, great start. You'd see going into the festive fixtures that are coming up. Yeah, I have to agree. And we've talked about uh, this with Chelsea as well. They kind of got off to really kind of in the stretch that people were taking notice and Chelsea were being teams 3-1. They weren't necessarily playing the strongest uh, competition when they were thumping them. And Everton just kind of shows that when a team was a little bit better at Chelsea weren't really able to get past them. The same goes with Spurs. Same goes with with Everton right here. Zero goals in those two matches, and you know all that money she spent on attacking talent to not to not even score a goal in those two games should be a little concerning to me. And I know about not scoring goals. <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, it, it is going to be interesting to see how Chelsea bounce back, but Everton, I think this sets up a nice platform for them to kind of bounce, start bouncing back. Um, they do need to start winning, but again, the games don't get easy. They go away to Leicester city. So, and then they face Arsenal. So, I mean, back to back tough games. What do you think? Uh, you only described one tough game in there. Oh, well, um, uh, I guess we shall come back to Everton when we do our preview in the next segment. So make sure to subscribe so that you can get all the best content from the football Academy. Moving on to the next game, uh, talking about Academy Southampton, uh, the Liverpool Academy out there producing a brilliant three 0 win against Sheffield United. Nobody's talking about this, but like there is a legit chance Southampton are consistently decent to like a Europa League spot this year at the very least. Oh, I, I fully agree with that. I thought you were going to set your sights a little bit higher there because uh, they're a team that goes out and they score enough goals to, to kind of make that, kind of top four level if we if you want to talk about that like with the kind of the prerequisite of going from a team that's kind of average to taking that step up even in terms of just whether you talk defense or offenses it's mostly just scoring goals you see the teams that score more goals go up there and Southampton is a team that can do that and so you know we'll we'll see how the season plays out it does get tougher and the festive fixtures and such but uh, South Edmonton are a team that don't have Europe. They, uh, I think they're, are they out of the league cup already? I think they are. Um, and so 
they're a team that's not going to have that much to focus on other than the league. And when you have a lot of their competition up there, who's going to be stretched in already compressed schedule, stretched across multiple competitions, Southampton can make a run. I'll tell you what, their next three games, in my opinion, could, uh, I mean, I guess not three, but the next, I would say four games could essentially define like which way they could go because it kind of goes over the festive period as well because I think uh, it's, I think, Arsenal away first and they go play Man City and then there's a Fulham game in there and then they play, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they're taking on West Ham United. So I think if they can get two to three wins in there, um, there'll definitely be a lot of optimism to see what they can do uh, moving forward. Sheffield United, I'm not going to talk a lot of shit about them because we play them next. So um, please don't turn into fucking prime Barcelona next game. That's all I will say. Um, Somebody that definitely did turn into a player on that prime Barcelona team, uh, Eze for Crystal Palace had an absolutely brilliant game against Tottenham Hotspurs along with the Crystal Palace goalkeeper in Guetta. I'm I'm probably uh, butchering his name out there. Guaita, um, I think. Guaita. I'm not sure. Okay. All right. Sorry if we are butchering your name, sir. Would love to have you on the pod to correct us. Um, having said that, Tottenham, man, uh, this was, this is not an easy game to go out and win. Um, and this is where Mourinho football gets frustrating, you know? And at the end of the day, a 1-1 did not turn out to be as catastrophe of a result. But uh, overall... I think um, Crystal Palace much, much uh, happier with the point. Oh, I, I'm sure they're happier with the point than Spurs are. Although, you know, this is kind of what we talk about with Mourinho and how he sets up. They got the early goal and kind of sat back just like they did against Arsenal. And, you know, Arsenal weren't good enough to put in crosses to get a late goal, whereas uh, Crystal Palace were. And, you know, you're right. Eze was really, really good in this game. And I think, you know, he's a player that when he's given time on the ball is you're really going to be one to watch out for. Um, and may, I think he might be their Zaha replacement plan long term, which is really smart business by Palace, I think. Um, but, you know, this is like this will be one of the matches that if Spurs come up just short, this will be one of the ones that you look at and say we probably should have gotten three points from. Yeah, most definitely agree with that. And uh, I, I think Mourinho made it clear he wasn't happy. Um, we shall see how they end up uh, rebounding because they have a big, big game coming up against the defending champions in Liverpool Football Club who went to Craven Cottage as big-ass fucking favorites and a VAR decision that sh- kind of saved them from a penalty that, in my opinion, was a stone-cold penalty and then gave Salah a penalty that shouldn't have been a penalty and ended up 1-1 and I think Fulham at the end of the day were probably like if you had given them a draw before the game they would have happily taken the draw and at the end of the game probably felt like they should have gotten three points against the champions it's really hard to disagree with that Um, Fulham I think you would argue had better chances overall if uh, outside of that penalty you know penalties and VAR decisions aside I think if you just look at the balance of the game, I think Fulham were at least even, if not the better overall team with the better chances. And, you know, Fulham just missed a couple that they had opportunities. Um, Cavalero missed one um, at, the, at the 45th minute mark. Uh, really big chance that if he puts that away, 
we're probably talking about a different result there. It's, it's you know, 2-0. I don't want to say game done when it comes to Liverpool because they have the firepower to come back from that. But the way they're playing, no, no chance. I, I And you know what's funny? This is, I think, going to be a trend. Because of how close all these teams are, you saw the Manchester derby that neither one of them wanted to lose. I, I am going to give you a little bit of a tidbit in my thinking that the upcoming game between Liverpool and Spurs could also feature something very, very similar where neither one of the two teams want to lose the game more so than trying to win the game. Uh, Credit to Fulham, though. They seem to have turned it around. Good job, Scott Parker. I might have been wrong about you. I'm still going to keep an eye out on what you do for the rest of the season. But uh, good to see Fulham uh, do well, to be honest. They're a team I used to watch as a kid and uh, good to have them back in the Premier League, at least taking points off of Liverpool uh, that most teams seem to not be able to do last year. Uh, talking about last year, uh, Jamie Vardy was firing last year and Jamie Vardy is firing this year. Seems like age is literally just a number for the guy who drinks vodkas and Red Bulls on the regular Leicester City 3, Brighton nil. The Brighton are dangerously reaching uh, Norwich City category for me at this point where they just cannot seem to get a result no matter how much of beautiful football they play, which could be very interesting if they get relegated and lose players like Tariq Lamptey in this upcoming offseason. Having said that, 3-0, Leicester came in to win, won the game. Brendan Rodgers keeps on rolling. What do you think? Yeah, Brighton are a mystery to me because if you look at... They're struggling to get the results in 16th place. But if you look at... I, I looked at Understat's expected points model, which... Fair enough, has a lot of problems. Let's just talk about it as a ballpark. They're fifth in expected points, which to me, like that's such a divergence from where the actual results are. I feel like, well, I mean, we say this all the time. We feel like Brighton's going to come good and be better, but they're just not getting the results. And, you know, there's no real shame in losing to Leicester, but they did kind of get completely dominated. And we talked in the preview show last week about Sheffield having some, some results go against them, especially with the way that they lost to Leicester with Jamie Vardy kind of sucker punching them on the counter and just being a demoralizing result. And if you're a Brighton fan, you have to wonder if the same thing's going to happen to this team because they just, they're just not getting results, even if they are playing, kind of the way they want to. Uh, but all in all, for this game, Leicester pretty much dominated throughout. Uh, very, very much agree. And uh, I think Leicester, again, a team that uh, we're going to have to start getting more serious about this season because I don't know if a Brendan Rodgers collapse happens or not at the end, but they definitely look like a contender again for the top four positions. Moving on to the final game of the weekend at the Emirates, uh, Arsenal nil, Burnley won. Um, I'm not going to lie, I was kind of stunned with the red card, the way Xhaka got it once I saw it. Um, and, I mean, I guess the low-hanging fruit re- here really is that Aubameyang is finally on the score sheet. So, uh, your thoughts? I, yeah, so, it's just so hard to figure out what Shaka is doing there and what, how he thinks that that's going to improve the situation. It's such a Arsenal just have a lot of selfish players on their team right now. The red card from very similar circumstances that Pepe got uh, against Leeds. this red card are just they're They're ones you get in 
when you go through frustrating periods and players are unhappy and it just kind of all leaks out into a moment and you really need your senior experienced players which Jacques is certainly one of those. He's been the captain of the club. He's definitely one of the leaders on the team and to go and do something like that, to put your entire team under pressure is really unacceptable. And you can talk about Arsenal's struggle to inform right now, but I, I really think that Arsenal don't lose this game and maybe they don't go on to win. Who knows? I don't think Arsenal lose this game if it's uh, 11 versus 11 in there. And just, it's a real lack of discipline there. And there's a lot of issues. I I can spend way longer than we have to talk about the issues that Arsenal have going on right now. Um, it, it's, it's really frustrating to watch. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the funny part is it, it, there are times when people are like, you know, that is something that is necessary. I think when uh, Moape last year uh, took out Leno, had at that point, uh, like Jaka had gone on and done that, I think, you know, circumstances are different. But this one, I think he just got kind of coerced into it uh, by the Burnley players. And I mean, that's not an excuse, but it, they it set is a trap. what it is. Like, yeah, like he reacted to it. And I mean, it, it, it was, I mean, for me, I was just like, if the Martial was a red card early on in the season, like how the fuck is that not a red card? Like that For was sure. my instant reaction, sure. you know? And it, and that is a problem. Like Martial shouldn't have been a red the, card though. Like let's, no, let's set yeah. that aside. But, but even uh, Martial's was just so entirely different to this. Like Martial's yes. was just like a tap. This was at, like, this was a hand around the throat. Like, <laughs> like yeah. it's very hard to argue that that is not violent conduct. Even, even if, even if he fell over and it was a whole thing, like whatever, it's still a hand to his throat. Yeah, you can, you just can't do it. Yeah, I mean uh, th- that is very very true, and it. I think for Arsenal, th- there is just something not right because when you as you pointed out, like it was similar to Pepe's, and when players get these similar records, that yes, they can all be selfish, but they might also be frustrated with what's going on. Like you know, you're playing for, sure. for Arsenal yeah. at the end of the day. And I think when things aren't going your way, it's frustrating. And I think this festive period is huge. Like, I know Arteta is, like, y'all's boy, and I want him to succeed. Like, I, he's, it's a first-time coach. It's exciting to see. But at the same time, it's it's just not clicking so far. So I'm not going to overreact onto like, what happens to him, whether he's going to get fired or not. But I, this festive period for me is going to be very intriguing because Arsenal, in terms of just, like, having options, don't have a lot of options. To just be like, you know, fuck it, we're going to just play 11 like completely different players. You don't have that quality. Like, yes, you have certain youngsters coming through, but do you really want to put them all in the firing lane like that? So it's what do you think changes in the next couple of weeks? So it's really tough. It's going to be interesting in the next game because, uh, you know, lost in the fact that Shaka is going to be suspended for three games. Uh, Bellerin got his fifth red, yellow card of the season. So he's out this game as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see what Arteta does uh, to the point about Arteta and whether his job comes under fire. So I'm no longer the point that I'm like fully defending Arteta. You can have whatever opinion you want on that. But I I will say that there's a number of players on this team who have now let down three, if not four managers, uh, depending on what you count Freddie, because there wasn't really a manager, new manager bounce when Emery left and Freddie took over for a few games. So, you know, 
it's it's clearly not just the manager. Like there's several players who have let multiple managers down. So you can have the opinion that Arteta is not the guy to do this rebuild. I think that's a perfectly valid, reasonable opinion. But it's also not just going to be fixed by getting rid of Arteta. Like the squad needs a major overhaul. And if you think Arteta is not the guy to do that, then that's fine. I, I think you the team should make the decision that they want to make. But it's just it's so painfully clear right now that there's just a massive problem with this way the squad is constructed. If you had a choice, would you go get Allegri? No. Would you go get Potch? That would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, th- as you uh, contemplate that, we are going to take a break. And uh, that's the end of the first segment. We shall be back with the second segment where for this week, we're going to preview all the upcoming midweek games. So see you on the other side. What is up, guys? We are back with the second segment of this podcast. We are going to get into these upcoming midweek games. We got a full slate of games. You know what that means? That means a thousand pot box that we are going to bet. Uh, we normally do this every week. Now we're going to have to do this a couple of times a week. Uh, and hopefully we do make up all the losses we've had uh, previously. Essentially, what we do is instead of giving you just our opinion of how the game's going to go, we like to hold ourselves accountable. And uh, we bet on these games according to the three-way money line. And uh, we see how we do at the end of the week. So this week we are going to get uh, started with the first game, which seems to be a crazy number next to the home team, in my opinion. Wolverhampton Wanderers at plus 385, Chelsea at minus 145, the draw at plus 275, over-unders at two and a half. Um, kind of disrespectful to Wolves, but I also understand without him and as they don't really have a threat, in my opinion, to take on Chelsea. Yeah, I agree with that. I do think that I think Wolves will keep this game pretty close overall. I don't see Chelsea coming in and dominating, but I do think you asked the key question, which is whether or not Wolves are going to be able to score. They probably need to score multiple goals to win uh, and at least one goal to draw. So I would be a little pessimistic on that. But I do. If if you like Wolves, that plus three eighty five is a really strong line, uh, in my opinion. Uh, for me, for this game, I'm going to put 50 on the draw. Like I said, I think Wolves can keep it close. I don't like Chelsea at minus 145. Uh, that's a little less odds than I'd like to get back uh, for this for this match. I agree, but uh, I'm going to put down actually 50 on the draw in this situation uh, as well, just because I think as far as Wolves are concerned, there there is an implosion factor in my opinion as far as the team goes, but... They have managed without Raul Jimenez. This is going to be their biggest test. Chelsea coming back from that defeat is going to be a bit too much, in my opinion. But again, like I don't, I don't feel fully confident that Chelsea go and dispatch. I might sound stupid, given that you're going to be listening to this after the uh, games already happened. So just bear that in mind. But um, I think as far as Chelsea goes, not fully confident that they pull out something. So I'm just going to go with the. Uh, 50 on the draw moving on to the next game this is a wow just wow manchester city at home against west brom manchester city a minus 1000 west brom at plus 2400 the draw at plus 1000 the over-unders at a three and a half are you betting big in this game fuck no (laughs) um i just i i don't expect west brom to do anything but i also I, i can't imagine spending i mean you would have to put 
a thousand dollars on Man City to win a hundred. I just, I'm not. We talked about this in the review earlier. I, I'm not that convinced by this city team. I mean, I think that they probably go out and win this game, but not enough to take ten to one on on that, or excuse me, one to ten uh, on that. So I'm going with twenty five on a draw here. Um, I don't, I don't know. Like it, this is solely about the line. I know I, I'm not getting this correct, but I don't see the point in betting on city here. Yeah, and that is why I'll put down $50 on West Brom because if I'm going to go for it, might as well go for it. But throw away $50 in my opinion as far as this game is concerned. Uh, two teams that seem to be in uh, very different trajectories right now. Arsenal Football Club taking on Southampton Football Club. Arsenal at plus 120, Southampton at plus 225, the draw at plus 245, the over-unders at 2.5. Am I missing something or Southampton are really like plus 225 in this game? Yeah, I can't imagine the lines being this. So like, in what world would you take Arsenal with with as a fa- even as a plus favorite here? I just I, I can't imagine doing that. It, Southampton are playing really well. Um, Arsenal clearly are not. The craziest I would do is you could potentially take a draw if you wanted to, because, you know, Arsenal could potentially score set piece but that even that's going to be really hard like the only guy they can kick to is gabriel and you know southampton have tall strong center backs who are good at set pieces so i I don't even know that that route's an option that is really available for arsenal so i mean i'm going with i'm going to go with 200 on southampton here like I, i i don't see a way that arsenal win this game damn uh I am going to go with the odds as well and put down $200 on Southampton just because I believe as far as this game is concerned, um, Southampton are being hella disrespected. I think just because of the name um, in this situation. Yes, Arsenal are at home and they need to kind of come out and do something. But They were home against Burnley too. Fuck that. But like, I guess Southampton will play an open game. And I think maybe because of, as you said, Bellerin being suspended, Jaka being suspended, Arteta gets forced into making a choice that he normally wouldn't make that ends up paying off. That's the only way I can see why they are. Because, man, to be plus favorites like this is kind of baffling to me. Because like, it's not even like plus 150, it's like plus 120. So it could have been even on right there if like somebody had bet big money on them. So... It's very, very interesting to me how uh, this line is made. Uh, as far as the over-under goes, I would definitely take the over in this game. I, I think if you think Southampton's going to win, I, I think you're going to see an embarrassment for Arsenal. If, if, you, if you definitely believe Southampton's going to win, is my opinion. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I just, I have, you might need a 3-0 win by Southampton to to get that like you have to really believe in that which Southampton are capable of but I do still think that Arsenal's problems really are going forward they're not so much defending but I mean I I don't think Arsenal's disciplined enough to not give away set pieces to James Warprose and that's my problem that's a good point like I and on the other side as well like Gabriel as you've mentioned Aubameyang showing that he can score some headed goals I think I mean come on he just scored one uh, <laughs> I, I guess yeah. Uh, I, uh, he is a, so you know, it, 
I think this could be a very entertaining game overall. Like, I think if uh, Arteta just needs to be like, you know what, fuck defensive football for one game. Just let the kids play. Just let them play. And in my opinion, if he lets them do this, they'll beat Southampton. And there'll be a lot of big teams that will breathe a sigh of relief if Southampton loses right now. And I think Arsenal for like three days can stop becoming the laughingstock while Man United goes and loses to Sheffield United. Anyway, moving on from that game, Leeds United taking on Newcastle United. Lead, um, Leeds at minus 130, Newcastle plus 360. The draw at plus 285, over-unders at two and a half. Is Callum Wilson hurt again? Is, Is that he? why the line's that crazy? I I didn't hear news about that. I I, I thought much the same as you. Like, I thought this line was was a little off because I do think that Leeds are going to play a game that Newcastle is perfectly happy to let them play. I think that Newcastle aren't really interested in trying to build up possession and and giving you chances to press them. They're just going to kind of go over the top of that. And so I, I don't know. I think this is a pretty good matchup overall for Newcastle and plus three sixty. I'm happy to take that. I'm going to put 75 on Newcastle in this game. Yeah, I very, very much agree with that. I'm just looking at the number. I don't, it doesn't set, sit right with me. So I'm going to put down $50 on uh, Newcastle. It, it's not to say that Leeds are a bad team or anything like that. I just don't feel comfortable yet taking Leeds when they are minus favorites. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Uh, moving on to the next game. I've been eyeing this game ever since I saw the odds. Leicester City taking on Everton. Leicester at plus 120. Everton at plus 225, the draw at plus 260, over-unders at a three. This could be, could have been at one point a big, big like title challenge, uh, challengers going at each other. But right now it looks like a resurgent Everton team after getting a win against Chelsea, taking on a Leicester City team that seems to be trying to prove some title credentials that I would say if they do end up smashing Everton in this game, people are going to start taking a little bit even more of a notice. Yeah, it's a really interesting game between these two because, and you talk about Everton as being a little bit further down, but you know they're only five points off first, and you know they're seventh, which sounds really far back. But with the way the table is compressed this year, I, you know, there's no reason Everton can't go on a run of games and, and be right back in the thick of that. In in my opinion, um, as far as this game, it's really tough to kind of dissect because I with the way that Vardy's played this year um you really would have expected a slowdown at some point but he just keeps going and banging in goals and so I'm not the biggest fan of Everton's back line against uh players who can exploit pace and and space in behind and I do think that that's you know that that's what Jamie Vardy has made a career off of and I also don't really know how Everton are going to score enough goals to to win this game. Like I, I you know when I saw the line, I was leaning Everton, but now that I think about this, I I, I think I'm going to go with Leicester. I'm going to go with 75 on Leicester in this game. I just I see a much easier pathway to them scoring and getting the result than I do for Everton. Yeah, I agree with that, and I'm going to put down two hundred dollars on uh, Leicester City in this game. Just because I think they're a better team right now. And the way Jamie Vardy is playing, this is a game that I think could be a statement game for Brendan Rodgers. I've been wrong before about statement games and given the quick turnaround, very much could be about this game as well. But it just feels like uh, this Leicester team has something to prove after having completely missed out on Champions League last year 
after having played so well for most of this season. Um, moving on to the next game, Fulham at home at plus 190, taking on Brighton, who are at plus 150. The draw at plus 230, over-unders at 2.5. Uh, this is a very early season, in my opinion, relegation six-pointer that can tell us about the trends of these two teams because Fulham seems to have recovered. Brighton seems to have never found a finishing touch in their uh, team so far. And as far as both of them go, Fulham uh, look like they should have been favorites for this game. Yeah, certainly just based on the last three games or so, I think you would probably lean towards... Fulham as being favorites but you know we talked last time about the underlying metrics of a Brighton I'm gonna fall into this trap once again of just saying that at some point Brighton have to kind of perform to the level that uh, it, it looks like that they're playing to at times and they just need to get a little bit of luck uh, so I'm I'm thinking that if you don't get that against Brighton and uh, or against Fulham I realize I said this with Arsenal and Burnley last week but if you can't get right here I, I don't know where you're going to get right uh, so I'm putting 150 on Brighton in this match damn uh, I'm going to be a little bit more conservative and put on $50 on Fulham in this situation I like their odds and yes Brighton are a team that are going to play expansive but Fulham seem to have found something and I want to see if Scott Parker can keep making it work for them uh, moving on to the next game, the big, big game of this midweek fixture slate, I guess. Uh, Liverpool, minus 130 favorites at Anfield, taking on Tottenham at plus 355, a draw at plus 280, over-unders at a three. It feels like a perfect stage that Liverpool is about to come and absolutely slap Tottenham. But this is Mourinho. Anfield is a place he loves to go and pull something out of his ass. Do you think that's about to happen? I mean, I think it certainly can. I The Spurs team is good enough to go, and they're they're going to make it tough uh, for Liverpool, I think. I, I think that Liverpool do best when they can uh, hit you hit you pretty quickly on the break and kind of stretch your, stretch your defensive line. I just don't think a Jose team is going to allow that to happen. Uh, I think it's going to be five or six back there, uh, you know, keeping an eye on Salah at all times, as well as Mane. And I, I just, I, I don't know that Liverpool are going to be able to find the space that they need uh, to to beat Spurs comprehensively. You know, with with as much trouble as, or not as much trouble, but with the injuries that Liverpool have had on defense, I do kind of wonder if that's a bad recipe to have against Kane and Son in the form that they're in. Um, all, all that said, I do still kind of believe in Anfield, and there's something about this Liverpool team that they keep getting results. Uh, I'm not going to bet a lot on this because I, I do see all three results here as um, probably equally pretty likely. Like I, I, It's hard for me to say which one I, I'm going to go with in this game, so I'm going to put 50 on a draw here uh, and just kind of punt and go somewhere else. Now, that is very, very fair. I am also going to do the same thing and put 50 on the draw. I think this is just a classic Jose Mourinho, you know, just come back, set back. If you get a win, you get a win. Just get out with the draw because they are, you know, up there with Liverpool. And just, I think, ultimately at Anfield, you just don't want to lose. And as far as Liverpool are concerned, they're going to really try to bounce back. And we, we've seen Klopp get frustrated at times against teams that just sit back and do nothing. So, and you know, yeah, Klopp, 
Mourinho had a decent record against uh, Liverpool when he was at Man United. Yes, his final game was a defeat and he got sacked and everybody's going to talk shit about that. But he did beat them a couple of times when he was at Man United. So this is a game that works for him. And the way, like, I don't know if Trent's going to play this game, but the way he's been playing, I would not be surprised if uh, he absolutely directs them. Because if Son and Son and Kane both just take, try to take Trent on, that could be a fucking nightmare situation for uh, Liverpool's defense. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think that... There's a single, there's a single world in which you want to leave uh, Trent one on one versus one of those guys. That's, that's just not going to work out. Um, that's not what Trent's there to do. He's there to get forward and put in crosses and all that sort of thing. And he just hasn't really done that much this season. And so it's kind of been not really much upside and just seeing all the defensive downside that Trent has. Fair, fair. Uh, and I guess it will be interesting to see how this game progresses. As far as the over-under, I'd probably take the under in this situation just because I don't have a lot of faith in either one of the two teams going for it. Liverpool might a little bit more than... Um, I'm blanking. Um, Tottenham? Sorry, I fucking forgot their name for a second. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think overall, I would not expect a lot of goals in this game. I agree with that. I, I don't, I think Spurs are going to be happy to mostly sit back and it would surprise me if this one got to four goals. Same. I definitely agree with that. Uh, the, coming up in the next game, West Ham United taking on Crystal Palace, West Ham at plus one Oh five palace at plus two seventy. the draw at plus two forty five. uh, over under is a two and a half. Crystal Palace, it seems a bit too much in that uh, line, in my opinion. But West Ham have been really good so far, so you've got to give them credit. This is a really interesting game for Palace, in my opinion, because I've been of the opinion uh, that Palace mostly do well against the kind of the bottom level teams that they can um, just kind of beat up on talent with Zaha, who's better than anyone that they have on defense. And before the season started, I probably would have told you that West Ham are one of those teams, but they're clearly not at this point. And I do think that Declan Rice can play a big part of uh, containing uh, Zaha and, and as a if he's out there as well. Like I, I do think that um, Declan Rice is going to be a big part of uh, West Ham doing something this game. Uh, so I'm as plus favorites of West Ham and granted, like this is not much plus favorites It's plus one oh five. Um, I'm going to go with uh, 125 on West Ham in this game. I, I think they're a better overall team. I think they have uh, a better identity of what they're trying to do than Palace. And I think they'll see it through. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think with that. But what do you make of West Ham, though, so far? Because th this is something that I have struggled with so far to formulate an overall opinion because they seem to get the wins that they have wanted this season. But at the same time, like, are we talking a top 10 finish for them? Are we talking maybe a Europa push or you think that's a bit too far? It's really tough to say at this point of the season. I think that they've taken advantage of the fact that no one's really pulled away uh, so far in the, in the table so far this year. And so they've just kind of gotten some results and hung around and you know, Moyes deserves credit for that, but I also don't think that you can count on that continuing throughout the whole 
course of the season. I, I think they probably fade down a little bit and that I think they'll be a top half of the table team or at least be right around there. But I think a Europa push is going to be a little tough for them. Yeah, that is uh, definitely fair. I'm going to put down $200 on West Ham. I just think uh, as far as Zaha goes, uh, big, big text, uh, sorry, big, big test uh, for uh, Declan Rice to figure out how that goes. But uh, I saw a picture of Declan Rice next to um, uh, boxer Anthony Joshua. Man, De- Declan Rice looked taller than him, and I was just like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, like, he's a big kid. <laughs> He is a big fucking kid. So I'm going to trust him. I'm going to put down $200 on West Ham United. Uh, Moving on to the penultimate game of the weekend, of the midweek, sorry, not the weekend. Uh, Aston Villa taking on Burnley. Aston Villa minus 140. Burnley at plus 370. A draw at plus 295. The over-under is at a two and a half. Guess winning at Arsenal uh, doesn't get you a lot of uh, uh, favorite lines anymore. (laughs) Uh, So... This is probably one of the matches I'm I'm most sure about uh, for, for this for this midweek uh, f- slate of games. I, I look at Villa and I, I usually don't like to do this with uh, minus favorites, um, especially not once you get past like minus one twenty or one thirty. But I, I'm going to go pretty heavily on Villa here. I'm going to go two hundred. On Villa, I just think that they're a much better team than Burnley, and I think they can actually score the goals that. Arsenal can't, and um, I think they're going to – I think they could coast pretty well in this game, and I would be very, very interested in the over as well. Yeah, I think uh, Aston Villa definitely could uh, absolutely make an example out of Burnley, and I'm going to put down $100 on them. I know given the odds, not a lot, but um, that's the most I can do given my current financial pot buck situation. Um, moving on to the final game of the midweek slate, Sheffield United, big underdogs at plus 625 against Manchester United, minus 215, a draw at 355. The over-unders are two and a half. Premier League had the foresight to start giving Man United some Thursday night football practice. Do you think this is a perfect, like, everything starts to go wrong phase? Or do you think United have something to build on right here? I don't think you can think that it goes wrong here. That might be coming up. But I, Sheffield have played 12 games and lost all but one, which was a draw. Like Their underlying says that they're a little bit better than the results that they've gotten. But, you know, kind of like we talked about Brighton, it just hasn't been there as far as results. And I, I think United will pretty comfortably see through this one. Uh, I'm, I'm going with uh, 50 on Man United. That's what I've got left. Um, I realize that minus 215 doesn't really return anything, but... We'll think we'll think about it as the uh, as the savings account to the investments in the other matches. Uh, well, uh, I am going to put down uh, my remaining fifty dollars on Sheffield United. I think uh, th- this is a game. There's an outside chance that uh, Sheffield United come out and kind of stun Man United because again, this is a, they'll be up at Bramall Lane. You know, like they'll feel it. The players are going to be there kind of hyped up and we'll see because these are games Man United have struggled to self-motivate in the past. So if they can uh, deal with that situation this time around or not. Having said that, that brings us to an end of this week's podcast. As far as this double slate goes, we are going to be back uh, later on this week to again review and preview for the upcoming weekend's fixtures. On that note, that's it from me and Braden. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Bye-bye.